0: All right, guys, what's up? Welcome to the Ardella Training Podcast, where we bridge the gaps in strength, performance, and injury prevention. This is Scott Ardella, your host, and welcome to episode number 215 this week. Now, last week we discussed human anatomy with Dr. Kathy Dooley, and this week you're going to hear from Phil Sabatini, who is a national uh, Olympic weightlifter and coach. He's doing some great things. And you're going to get great perspective as an athlete and a coach in this week's session. You'll hear about his approach and journey with Olympic weightlifting. As a matter of fact, you'll hear about the biggest benefit of weightlifting, and it's not what you think. You'll hear, is it ever too old to be a weightlifter? And you'll get specific programming approaches and training ideas and so much more. Guys, this session is loaded with great content and perspective from Phil this was a really uh, great chat that I had with him a couple of weeks ago and it's loaded with great insights so uh, check this one out and I know that you'll get uh, great value out of the session and I'm excited to have Phil join the show this week now before we get started I wanted to remind you about uh, some of the educational resources that I talked about in last week's show. Specifically, the anatomy training that we talked about, that is available at OTP Books. And it's just a great uh, website with many educational resources for coaches, trainers, and serious fitness enthusiasts. And the resources are things that are available from many of today's top coaches. So make sure to check that out. You can go to the link that I set up, which is ardellatraining.com forward slash learn, and you can see all of the great things that are available there, including many great articles and training uh, video samples and things like that. Again, go to ardellatraining.com forward slash learn. And to find this episode online quickly and easily, you can go to ardellatraining.com forward slash RT215. So we're going to get right into the interview this week. I'm not going to belabor this any more than needs to be. And we're going to get right into the great content and the great interview session this week with Phil Sabatini. Uh, So let's do that guys, listen all the way through, listen for all the great pearls of information that Phil shares with us this week and I will come back at the end and pull things together before closing the show out for episode 215. So enjoy the session guys and I'll talk to you at the end. Phil Sabatini is a head coach of the Barbell Syndicate and fresh off the USA Weightlifting Nationals where he took second place in the 94 kilo weight class. I'm really excited to have Phil Sabatini. Join the show this week. Phil, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. I think we're going to have a great discussion. And uh, let's just start right off the bat. When did you start weightlifting and how did you get involved in the sport?
1: I started weightlifting uh, competitively in 2006, 2007. Uh, I played college baseball on a scholarship at Ohio University. So I had some uh, background in in terms of training, but uh, we did some power cleans and we did some back squats, and that was about it. Uh, I decided. In my undergrad, that I wanted to be a strength and conditioning coach, so um, I went back to school and did my master's at Ohio U. And um, we had a strength coach there that was his name was Joe Fondale. He was a competitive weightlifter, uh, and as I was uh, learning how to teach the techniques and learning the nuances of strength and conditioning, um, he thought that I could be a pretty good weightlifter. So he he got me started, and I learned how to snatch. I learned how to clean and jerk, and and um it sort of took off from there he convinced me to do my first meet in january of oh seven i believe Uh, i qualified for the american open my first meet and that was the rest is history so
0: let me ask you when you started lifting so you talked about doing power cleans uh it's where most people start when they're learning Mm -hmm. olympic weightlifting did you feel like you were natural at weightlifting or has it been like this massive transformational journey for you
1: Uh, I do think it was a natural thing. And the reason why I say that is because when I first started out, my power clean was well above my front squat. So I was really powerful. You know, I had some good athletic, just genetic makeup that, you know, could lend itself to be a good weightlifter. Uh, And that was one of the biggest challenges that I had was just gaining strength because I was really powerful. I was a baseball player. Uh, and I didn't have a lot of just reserve strength in there. So, um, took a while for me to uh, catch up to my power, you know, through my strength. So, um, but yeah, I felt like it was, uh, it was going to be a good sport for me. How much has your body changed, uh,
0: through the years with weightlifting? And I guess what I'm asking is like hypertrophy for example. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, definitely. Uh, I, I've, uh, I've definitely put on muscle mass. It's just been in different areas because when I was in college and everything, I was really just concerned with bodybuilding. I wanted to look good and I didn't really know any better. And uh, I felt that I always thought that big muscles equals strong muscles or big muscles meant that I was going to be powerful. I'd hit a baseball further. I didn't really understand um, what power and strength actually was. Uh, And so... I had some muscle mass to begin with. I was always a bigger guy. I played in college. I was probably 195 to 200 pounds or so, sometimes a little more uh, during my playing days. Uh, But then the transformation was that I've, I lost some, I still have some muscle memory in my upper body there, but um, I've (laughs) lost a ton and put on a lot in my lower body. So the majority of the weight that I've gained as a weightlifter is in, in my lower body, which that's where it should be. So, yeah,
0: yeah. Now how much um emphasis if any do you put on hypertrophy
1: phases in your training right mm-hmm. now I do I think I personally do. I, I still go through, you know, a twelve to sixteen week block. You know, I only compete twice a year, uh, so I have plenty of time to to train. And I think it is really important, just in terms of you know correcting and fixing some thing some things with my technique, with my movement patterns. Uh, so I'll do a lot of reps, and I will you know stay in a higher volume phase for a good twelve to sixteen weeks. Um, as a coach. I think it's really important, especially at the developmental and beginner stages of weightlifting for them to develop, you know, just uh, some correct movement patterns under load, which will lend itself to some hypertrophy. Um, and that, that goes deeper, you know. It's muscular, it's, it's tendon stiffness, it's all the connective tissues that'll keep us healthy, you know, in the years to come throughout the training. So it's nothing that should be ignored. You mentioned uh, 12 to 16 weeks
0: of hypertrophy training. Do you feel like that's about right? for hypertrophy phases?
1: I do. I think most people um, don't stay in it long enough to see the true effects of a true hypertrophy. Does that mean that they're not going to grow some muscle mass? Does that mean that you don't hypertrophy under a strength phase doing lower uh, in volumes? No, you still will. But I do think that it does take a good 12 to 16 weeks to see a true, the true effects and adap- adaptations of a hypertrophy. Okay.
0: When you started out, uh, were there any major struggles that you had as an early weightlifter
1: yes um (laughs) i was a full-time strength coach at virginia military institute i was the head football strength and conditioning coach uh so i worked a lot of hours it was not an ideal training environment for me i worked 60 70 hours i was on the bus a lot my diet was not very good (laughs) Uh, i spent every other weekend at golden corral while we were on the road so um that was a big challenge for me um Number two was I was training alone because of that. You know, I was up really early to train before my first lifting group came in, which was usually around eight o'clock in the morning. So I was training at 536. um, And I had no environment. This was right. You know, social media isn't what it wasn't what it is now. And I, I had a remote coach who's still my coach, but um, you know, the only time I could send him videos is if I decided to pull my digital camera out and upload it and then send it through a file dropper because it was too big to send over any other form of uh, media. So uh, that was a big challenge. So I had to learn a lot for myself, which... I think now is a, is a strength of mine that I had to do that. I had to learn, you know, what the movement feels like, not just what it looks like. Um, and I think my challenge physically was what I hit on before was just my strength. I, I was just a powerful athlete, but I didn't have any real strength. My squats were weak. My pulls were weak. And it took me a while to, to transfer that over and, and become a true weightlifter.
0: So who is your coach? Phil? My
1: coach is Leo Totten. He's the uh, CEO of East Coast Gold, which is one of the, uh, if not the best weightlifting team in the country. And we've won a ton of team titles. Yeah. There's a ton of longevity and history there and a bunch of Olympians. And, and Leo's very highly touted. He's got a great resume. I was really lucky and fortunate to get uh, connected with him. My first coach lifted under him. So it was, I was just kind of grandfathered in there. I, yeah. I didn't seek him out or he didn't seek me out. It was just, uh, that's how it worked. And it just turned out that I turned out to be a pretty good weightlifter. I remember after the American <laughs> open, he's like, he told Joe Fondale who, who got me started. And he yeah. said, I hope you don't mind, but I'm going to take him over. And really? So, how you, yeah.
0: <laughs> so what did you learn from Leo early on? I mean, obviously Leo is a, you know, hugely established uh, weightlifting coach. What did you learn from Leo early on? And what do you continue to learn from him to this day?
1: I think the biggest thing is uh, just the investment. Like it's it's not just about weightlifting with him. And that's the same approach that I like to take with my team as a coach, too. You know, we we work really hard. He has really high expectations of his lifters, but it's not just weightlifting. It's that he expects that everybody handles themselves with class uh, and everybody makes mature decisions based around the team, based around his name, based around our name as athletes. Uh, and he, he's really put together a, a really high class program. And I think that is something to be said for itself. Let me ask you about technique.
0: And, uh, this is going through my mind <coughs> as you were talking here. Uh, how much emphasis do you still spend, I guess, working on your technique? Are you at a point now where your technique is, is good enough or is it still something that you're continuing to refine?
1: I don't think there's ever a point in time where weightlifters ever stop worrying about their technique. And if they do, then I think they're missing out on a lot of things. Uh, it's always changing with ev- every gain in strength and every little bit of fatigue that you have. There are adjustments that need to be made. A lot of times uh, when I get close to competition, um, you know, under a lot of fatigue, pushing some heavy weights, I'll start to develop a little bit of bad habits as much as you try to avoid that going into the meet um, uh, it tends to happen. So the, one of the first things that I'll do, um, two weeks coming out of there is just a little re reactivation phase after the meet. And it is highly technical. There's pauses, there's a bunch of different variations of the lifts. Uh, and I'm just trying to reconnect myself with the barbell. Let me ask you about plateaus. Mm
0: -hmm. Uh,
1: that's another question (laughs) as you're talking that
0: I was just jotting down. What's your best advice? What do you do to push through
1: plateaus? Personally, I will. Throughout my training program, there's a wide variety of different stimulus that I'm I'm placing on there. Like early on in the hypertrophy phase, I'm getting a ton of volume, like every set. Uh, and then as we get more into the strength phase, one thing that I've learned is that I personally respond really well to more sets. Uh, and it's something that I never, I, I guess, I didn't really consider myself an elite level athlete. You know, when you read the texts and when you see what other um, countries or other elite coaches and athletes are doing, um, you know, like the reps per set are, are pretty limited. Yeah. And, you know, you may do four sets of two and that's thought to be enough to build strength. Now I've learned over the past few years that I guess I am sort of elite in, in that I've been training for 10 to 12 years now. And um, I've really improved my strength over the past two years. And I've been doing, you know, upwards of eight to 10, sometimes 12 sets uh, at a pretty intense uh, load. And that's really been a difference maker for me. So, so volume may be the key to push through the plateau. I believe so, but it's the, you know, volume at the point of attack. I think you have to, it's gotta be heavy enough, but you need a lot more volume than you might think at those heavier weights. Have you had any injuries, Phil, through your training career? Personally? No. Uh, I have not have any, had any really debilitating injuries you know, I get banged up every once in a while. Um, when I was a strength coach, it happened even more so than it is now, despite being a little bit older now, but just riding the bus and everything, I'd always have some SI issues and things like that and piriformis syndrome and whatever, just from sitting on the bus too much. But, uh, recently I've been good. Uh, and I also have to credit, you know, we have a, team physical therapist that works for us, uh, um, at direct performance in Virginia beach. And he is, he's phenomenal, Jake McCrowell. So he's been keeping me young and spry. (laughs) (laughs) So, so what do you do for that? What is your, I guess, do you have a go-to mobility routine that you do? I do. Yeah. Every day is pretty much the same thing. So it gets pretty boring, but, uh, (laughs) another thing that I think it not only helps with my mobility, but could help with the plateau question that you previously asked, was that I don't think people do enough single leg work. And I never did. I never thought I needed it uh, until recently. And now I'm seeing a ton of benefit from it. Single arm and single leg work is is uh, it's really beneficial. It's been helping me a lot.
0: Why, why do you think that is? I'm just curious. Uh,
1: I just think we get so used to, you know, bilateral sagittal plane movements. You right. know, it's this is all we do. We walk and we run and we jump. Everything is straight ahead, front to back. Uh, so we lack some frontal plane side to side type movements. Uh, so I think that's number one. I think number two is that we get so used to being able to compensate for any lack of strength on one leg by using the other one because we're using together. Um, and so then when you're put into that deficit, you just have to create these neurological connections again that maybe you had before. And, and over the course of five or six years of training, you've lost.
0: Yeah. What do you like to do specifically for single leg work?
1: Uh, the Bulgarian, my favorite's Bulgarian split squat, but what, the way we do it is that we put um, a stretch band, like a, you know the, one of the thick bands around a squat rack at, around belly button height. And so the back leg is elevated, but it's also uh, wiggling in the band, so it becomes a, a greater stimulus back there. It's a little more challenging. Okay. Uh, so that's number one. That's the other thing I like is a deficit single leg deadlift. Uh, so it's not just a single leg RDL, but every single time you lift it off of the floor, you're using just one leg and then you slowly lower it back down to the floor into a rest position, pick it back up. Okay. Do you have anything
0: on um, your Instagram account that would uh, show some of these examples? I do. Th- I
1: think I have a video <laughs> of uh, rush of that. Well, I call them Russian lunges. I don't know where that term came from, but okay. uh, of the Bulgarian split squat on there, but it may be, you know, a few months back, but if I find it, I'll go on there and send it okay. out to you.
0: So I was just mentioning
1: that because that might be
0: a good place for people to go to check it out, visually, visually see it. Yep. Let's talk about your recent experience at the nationals. What Mm -hmm. uh, what was that like this time around for you?
1: Oh, it was awesome. (laughs) I'm still kind of reeling in it, only because um, I don't know. You know, I took a break. I took a two year hiatus from weightlifting uh, and had a couple kids, and I'm about to have my third kid. So, see what happens there, but. when I came, I decided to come back. I had dinner with Colin Burns who came out to Virginia beach one time. And he's told yeah. me that I looked weak and puny and miserable and uh, <laughs> that I should start training again. Oh, and I said, man. well, I still train, but uh, no plans of competing or anything. Uh, but he convinced me to start competing again. I'm glad I did because I always wanted to start a team and stuff. And that helped. But um, yeah. so the second time around has been much different. I have just so much more perspective about training and things like that. So, um, I didn't have any true expectations. You know, you got Kendrick Ferris and Nort Vardanian and Colin and just some high-level lifters that are pretty much untouchable up there. Um, So I just wanted to maybe be the best of the rest or I wanted to make some personal records or make a splash here and there or build a brand or whatever. Yeah. Uh, And then after the American Open – um. Or after I guess Nationals last year, I found myself on the podium, and I was getting closer. And hey, there's a chance that I could get some medals here. Uh, and so after the American Open, I had a really good performance there. Um, and I automatically just started to put even more pressure on myself, just like I did the first <laughs> time around. So I was a li- I had a little more anxiety and a little more pressure than I usually. I'm used to going into this nationals, but I had a great performance and I felt great. And we got to the meet on time and, um, it was, I was relieved and excited all at the same time, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. So it was, uh, you were happy with the outcome.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I hate to, I hate to, uh, get a higher placing or win or do whatever based on other people's misfortunes, you know, and there's, you know, Nathan Damron's a young lifter who, consistently out totals everybody else right below Colin. Uh, and you know, is he the second best lifter in the class behind Colin right now? Absolutely. Uh, but on that, you know, weightlifting is a sport just like anything else. And you got to show up on that day and take right. care of business. And unfortunately he wasn't able to, and I was, and I snuck into that second spot. So
0: Nice. Well, congrats. <laughs> oh, <my gosh. laughs> I wonder if you could talk about, um, the mental side of competition day. This is something <laughs> I really wanted to ask you because uh, I'm fascinated by it. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the psychology of competition day, what do you do to deal with anxiety? What mm-hmm. rituals do you have? Things like that. Can you talk about that?
1: Yeah. Uh, the Honestly, one of my biggest faults early on in my lifting career uh, is now one of my strengths, uh, but I used to completely submerge myself in the meet. Like, I would go to the meet and I would watch others lift. I'd be in the back warm-up room helping people, uh, I'd just be active. I'd have all this nervous energy that I felt like I needed to get rid of. Um, and it, by the time the meat actually came, I had no energy. I was exhausted <laughs> and I couldn't right. perform. And that was one of my biggest eye-opening moments in weightlifting, dealing with that. Uh, so what I do now is, uh, you know, typically we're lifting the 94 kilo class lifts in the evening. So we've been lifting around seven or eight o'clock at night. So I'll get up in the morning and I will do a really light workout in the warm-up room to try to burn off some nervous energy. It helps me, you know, with my last little bit of weight cut also. And uh and then I pretty much just lay around all day <laughs> because <laughs> if I start to think about weightlifting, my palms start to sweat, my heart starts to race and I'm just wasting unnecessary energy. Yeah. So I try as much as possible to stay away from weightlifting until I absolutely have to. That's um, great. That's great. Yeah. Um I mean, that's like a relaxation technique, really. Right, sort of exactly. Is. And that's, you know, where, where I needed it most. You know, I just yeah. had a ton of pressure and anxiety and nervousness and everything else. Yeah. And that was the only – this. that's how I'm able to uh, use it to my advantage, I guess. Have you had any anxiety-type
0: issues, I guess, in past meets or anything? Has that ever been an issue with you? I know.
1: No, like- I've always been – sort of a gamer. You know, I always do better in competition than I do in training. And that, that's not just in weightlifting. It's always been that way with baseball and football and any other sport that I played and I just get up for the competition. So I wouldn't say it was anxiety. I just think that uh, it's there. I kind of have a way, uh, an understanding on how to use it to my benefit. But early on in my weightlifting career, I let it, uh, I didn't know how to use it correctly. And so I was wasting a ton of energy. And so I had to learn how to do that.
0: What advice would you have for anybody that's listening that is, uh, they're involved in weightlifting, they haven't competed yet, mm-hmm. uh, and they're looking to get in a competition. Where do they go? What are the, what are the steps to do that?
1: I think number one is to find a coach and an atmosphere and environment that would suit you. You know, I think a lot of times people are so concerned with finding who the best coach is and that just because they have a certi- certification, uh, certification or a certificate or whatever, the, they may be a highly touted coach, may not be the right coach for you. And I think that's a hard uh, thing for people to truly understand. It would, you know, when you, I want to be the best, so I should go to the best coach on paper to do that for me. And uh, that's not always the case. So I think you do need to shop around. I think you need to find a coach that uh, you feel can invest in you and you can invest in that coach and put your trust into them. And then also, or they at a gym that provides the environment that is, uh, that's good for you. And, uh, you know, they're hard to find sometimes. So, yeah. yeah.
0: What are your thoughts on the, uh, the online coaching opportunities in
1: today's world? I think it's great, uh, only for just growth of the sport and everything. I think it's awesome that we are able to do that. Does, is it a substitute for, uh, in house real life coaching? No, I don't think there's uh, you're missing out on all the benefits of team and coach and on hand, hands-on, uh, you know, real-time coaching right there. If you train in a garage, you have a work schedule that doesn't allow for it and you absolutely cannot get to a gym and get into that environment, is it better than just training by yourself? Absolutely. Uh, and so I think there's a ton of benefit to it. Um, but if you have an opportunity to go to a gym with a real coach, you should do it.
0: Yeah. Nothing really replaces in live, uh, in-person live training. So, right.
1: Yeah. CrossFit, w- mm-hmm. good for the sport? Great for the sport.
0: Okay. <laughs> what's the, <laughs> Absolutely. Down- what's the downside?
1: Uh, I is,
0: is think downside?
1: Uh, personally, the downside uh, for me is just, um, I think there's a lot of differences in uh, how the lifts are taught technique wise and things like that. My biggest challenges are uh, number one, when I deal with an athlete that comes from CrossFit, number one, it's the technique. Uh, so we do some things to change that and and just getting the athlete to buy into that because they've been doing something, you know, it's incorrectly for years and they don't like that's a tough pill to swallow sometimes. Yeah. The other thing is the workload. I see a lot of uh, CrossFitters that compete or are just used to being physically tired in a way that's different from weightlifting you know, weightlifting is so neurological that you're tired like the next day or weeks later and even months later sometimes and not every day in your training session are you going to be breathing heavy or you are you feeling like you know your muscles are tight from uh, a ton of overuse and things like that and I think that's hard for crossfitters to comprehend that you're still getting work done and it's the necessary stimulus that you need you just may not feel uh, you know, the, the same kind of tire that you were in a CrossFit workout. Got it.
0: So do you think weightlifting is, is a good,
1: uh, strength skill for those that aren't interested in, in competition? I do. I think weightlifting is beneficial for everybody. Not everybody has to compete if you want to be uh, in weightlifting. And we have a handful of those on our team that, uh, don't really have any plans of competing right now, but love You know, great friends with everybody else on the team and love the atmosphere, the environment. They love to learn about the lifts, but that's not a priority right now. Eventually, would I like for everybody on my team to compete? Absolutely. But what's more important to me is the environment and the atmosphere. And if that, you know, is a positive thing, then so be it.
0: What do you think the top mistakes are for? Beginning weightlifters, and not specific so much to the lifts, because we could go in and talk about the snatch and the clean, sure. jerk, but just just general mistakes for new weightlifters.
1: I think two things: uh, impatience and a lack of consistency. So it takes years to become proficient in a sport, uh, regardless of any whatever the training program or the coach's philosophy is, or whatever. Uh, I think, you know, people will abandon their training programs their and de- their early developmental stages in lieu of something that they see on social media. You know, why is this person who's the best lifter in the country doing this? And I'm not. You don't have me doing any of these things. So I think there's uh, some mistrust and there's some impatience there on that side. I also, uh, during different phases of training, you're going to be tired, you know, and I think that's a hard thing for people to truly wrap their brain around when they first start. Uh, You're just doing a lot of new techniques that are hard on the nervous system. You're doing some heavier movements that make you fatigued. And then all of a sudden they're like, wait, where did my lifts go? Now I can't even hit 85% of my snatch or 85% of my clean and jerk. This program is not very good. And I'm going to, you're not a good coach or whatever. (laughs) Um, And that's weightlifting, that's training, you know, that's where you know, you have to suppress the performance before you can make the adaptation. And uh, so people will abandon that training program also um, because they get uh, apprehensive or anxious about their lifts instead of, you know, letting the process take take place.
0: Is it ever too old
1: to, uh, to be a weightlifter, to start weightlifting in your opinion? Um, no, I don't think it's ever too old to start weightlifting. But I do think that uh, no matter what the age is, I mean, even with uh, an eight-year-old, the, the key is expectation management, you know, uh, just in terms of how many days you can train or what the numbers are going to be or competition or whatever. But having a realistic view and approach to the training and, and to the sport itself is really important. I love that. Expectation management. Mm-hmm. <laughs> awesome. That's what it's all about <laughs> for everybody. That's still, you know, something that I fight with a lot of times too. Um, and that's what perspective can do for you. So
0: for most people, what are the biggest benefits for Olympic weightlifting? What, what comes to mind as I ask you that
1: question? Uh, number one, it's just investing in something that is very challenging, you know? So like, uh, let's just take, just a general everyday exerciser, you know, they want to bench press or they want to curl or they want to whatever it may be. It's not really challenging. It's challenging physically, but it's not anything you have to think about. It's not anything that really consumes you. And I think that's the draw to weightlifting is that people start this and it's challenging, but it's, They go home and they're like, man, I can't wait to get to the gym tomorrow so I can try to fix this. I can try to fix that. They're already invested in trying to make some progress, whether they know it or not. And uh, I think that is number one. I think that it's a sport that requires, uh, you know, a lot of thought and a lot of patience, a lot of like, you know, just personal life virtues that, um, you know, other programs don't. So,
0: yeah, that's a great answer. And I I really am in full agreement with that. Mm -hmm. Because it's something that I mean, I think it's like the pinnacle of strength skills, and it's something that you can just go down this path for the rest of your life. I mean, it's it's like playing golf. You know, I mean, it's something you can really. Actually, when I (laughs) when I talked to Joe Shamonic about this, uh, that was an analogy that um, Mm -hmm. he and I talked about. You know, weightlifting Mm -hmm. is like golf. I think he said. And it's just you, you can keep refining it and going down that path the rest of your life. You really for, can
1: forever. It's funny like that the way you, you just said that um, one of the lifters on my team is uh, in his late 40s and has uh, I want to say he's been lifting for about five years now, but he is completely invested into the sport to the point that it consumes him and he loves it. And he's lifted at Masters Nationals and stuff, but he always talks about this spiral And so once you start to learn something, it just takes you deeper, deeper into that spiral. And then when you learn something really deep in that spiral, then it changes everything outside of the center. So then you have to start the whole process over again. And that is, it's so true. It's just never ending. (laughs) Right,
0: right. Which is awesome. Right.
1: So what's your response to this statement? Weightlifting is too complicated and I'm afraid of getting hurt. What comes to mind? I think that is expectation management. So my response is nobody said that you had to be an Olympian. Nobody said that you had to be an Olympian on the first day. If that was your goal, there are progressions that coaches have in place that professionals use to develop you step-by-step. So number one, you need to put your trust in a coach uh, who will invest in you. Bring a friend into the gym And have a good time with it and learn while you're there. Yeah, so progressions and proper coaching is really the key Mm -hmm. there. Absolutely.
0: I know you talked about this already, but let's talk more about uh, your programming from a big picture standpoint. So you talked about how you use hypertrophy in Mm -hmm. your training
1: phases. What type of uh, programming approach? I mean, is there a style or... I would call it sub-maximal, I guess. You know, it's not Bulgarian. It's not... I I don't know. I guess sub-maximal. But what I like to say is that we're, we're interested in the athlete first in the weightlifter second. And when I was a strength coach, that's how I, that's, that was my philosophy also. I'm interested in training the athlete first, the football player second. We're going to work on things that, uh, will automatically, uh, progress you as a weightlifter. And it may not be a strict weightlifting movement, you know, like we talked about with the single leg and the single arm stuff, you know? Um, but you know, I do base, uh, I do base my programs under, you know, basics under load. You know, I, um, if you can't do the movement correctly at 80%, then why would it all of a sudden become correct at 90% or anything greater than that? Uh, and so, you know, we, we place a lot of emphasis under positions, the strength at the positions our proper movement, general strength. Um, and that's, just because the load isn't at maximal intensity, it it doesn't mean that it's not difficult. It doesn't mean that we're not, uh, training at a really high work capacity. Um, it's just that we're trying to find the threshold between quality and quantity and, and fit somewhere in between there. Got it. What about, uh, key assistance exercises that, that you like? Yeah, there it is. The single leg and single arm. I love the Bulgarian oh, okay. split squat. I love uh, the single leg deadlift. I love lateral lunges. I We do a handful of standing plyometrics, uh, both double and single leg. Uh, I also like single arm movements, uh, you know, with weightlifting, having the bar overhead and everything. A lot of people can get some uh, inefficiencies overhead. Uh, so we do, like, seated presses so that, uh, to, you know, for proper posture and things like that. Uh, we do standing presses. We do single-arm dumbbell, single-arm kettlebell presses, and uh, overhead uh, single-arm lunges, walking lunges, and things like that. Um, it's just something that you don't get every day in a weightlifting program that are, is really beneficial for your squats or your deadlift or whatever. So,
0: so you're finding, again, going back to the single um, – Mm -hmm. unilateral
1: work that you mentioned earlier,
0: but you're finding a lot of benefit uh, with yourself and then also your athletes by doing this.
1: Yes, absolutely. And I think that alone has contributed to just longevity and just overall health, like deep in the training program when you're really grinding and things are, your body doesn't feel great. You're under a lot of fatigue Uh, just being able to use what you have correctly goes so such a long way. Now you haven't had any injuries, you said, Mm -hmm. right? Okay.
0: Have you had any major adversity through your training career?
1: There are two instances that I think really has developed me into, you know, what I am today. No, I'm not an Olympian, I know. But um, I've come a long way. I've been competing for 12 years now. So uh, there are two instances. Number one was the 08 American Open, where I did exactly what I told you about earlier on, on the show. And I said, I was so excited because I was actually at the top of the start list and I had an opportunity to win and I was going to go out and I was going to win my first national meet. Uh, And I spent the whole day at the meet. I was in the back room. I was moving the barbell around and then, you know, I didn't weigh in until five o'clock. This was in Arizona. So it was really seven o'clock from what I'm used to. And I was on a weight cut and everything. By the time the meet came out, I was terrible. It was awful. I had no energy. I had no adrenaline. I, I was there too long. And so that's where I really learned how to compete and learn how to channel my anxiety. So, uh, that was number one. Number two is, uh, in 2012, um, I was hoping to make the Olympic trials and, uh, I had my first taste of international competition in, in 2010 and was hoping to get back on that final qualifying Pan Am team. And, um, about, Let's see, uh, three months before the national championships, Olympic trials, and which was the last qualifier for the Pan Ams, my first daughter was born unexpectedly at, she was a micro preemie. She came out and she was on one pound, 14 ounces. Um, and so we spent three, over three months in the NICU and um, for a while there, it was touch and go. It was a really uh, intense time in our life. So that was really challenging. And I was only training two to three times a week. I was under a heavy amount of stress and anxiety. And really, training really wasn't that important to me anymore. Uh, turns out, I had the best meet of my life. Really? And uh, oh, wow. that, uh, that was a huge just change for me in terms of perspective that uh, I've never lost. Uh, and it's really helped me in my training. You know, I don't take my training home with me very often. I try not to let it get to me too much. One bad day or even one good day isn't going to define me as a weightlifter. And it's just made the sport much more enjoyable. And I've been much better at it because of it. So, is there anything that you wish you knew when you were starting out? Probably just, you know, just the things that I talked about. You know, I just wish I knew how to compete when I was starting out. I wish I knew how important single leg and single arm exercises were to my training. Uh, I had all this energy and I didn't know how to use it. You know, I always thought that more reps were the answer because I have more energy. So maybe I I should do more squats or this isn't hard enough. Let me put more weight on here. And then I should have been, you know, putting that energy into my technique, putting that energy into my mobility and to, you know, some assistance work and things like that. And um, maybe I would have been a little bit better now than I am. I don't know, but I would have been a lot better then. I know that for sure.
0: Uh, Since you just mentioned reps, if you don't mind me asking, what's Mm -hmm. the highest rep scheme you'll ever – go-to for snatch and clean and jerk
1: Uh, for snatches. I've done four, Okay. Uh, and that's not very often, yep. uh, but I guess I should, that that's sort of, there's an asterisk there because, uh, you know, like this week, for example, I've been doing snatch pull plus snatch for sets of three. So really that's like six movements in one set, which okay. is pretty challenging. And uh, I won't do anything over 10 on the squats, but I did three sets of 10 at 75% yesterday or uh, Tuesday and I'm, I'm still sore. So. Okay.
0: so are you doing a hypertrophy type phase right now?
1: I am yeah I'm doing a ton of just complexes and yeah. uh you know pull plus snatch or pull plus clean plus front squat plus push press kind of thing and yeah. and then my rdLs are at tens, my pulls are at tens, my squats are at tens uh everything you' know, I'm do- and I'm doing some upper body assistance work too, so it yeah. feels good to get back under some volume after you know pushing the heavy weights for a long time into competition, but uh man i'm sore
0: what's your strength uh physically
1: Oh... I, my jerk, uh, I'm still powerful. You know, I wish, I don't know, you know, it used to be, I used to say, well, I'm, I'm better at snatch than I am clean and jerk. And then since I've added some strength now, I I don't know if I can say that. And my snatch hasn't really progressed like it was when I first started weightlifting. So, uh, but I still consider myself a really powerful athlete. You know, I power snatch 140 kilos and my best snatch is roughly one is 157. Uh, my best power clean is 175, and my best clean is 195. So they're 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 pretty close. You know, I can uh, I can still move some weight with some speed. I rarely miss a jerk, which is I think that you know one of the most powerful movements that we can do. So yeah. I would say that that is my my greatest strength is as being a a fast and powerful athlete.
0: I know this is a tough question to answer, but for someone for an athlete trying to improve their snatch strength specifically. Mm-hmm. Uh, what would be something that you think could help them? Uh, maybe an assistance
1: exercise. And again, it's obviously very individualized. Vast, but right, yeah, the variables are so right. vast. Uh, but the one thing that's really, surprisingly enough, just lately really um, has made a lot of sense to me is the no foot variation of the snatch. And because we pay so much attention to the pull, and, you know, finishing the extension and then what? And, every, you know, uh, so learning how to actively pull under the bar is something that I think is lost in the teaching progression. So we've been doing a ton of that and I've seen a ton of benefit in my lifters. And personally, I feel better about how I'm moving the barbell just because of that. Okay are you is this off of blocks or it could be it could could be be from all different positions you know we do them from the floor we do them from hang we do them from blocks but you know we we you know how i coach it is we start in our squat stance and we finish as hard as we can and we pull as hard as we can with the hands to to snap our body down into the bottom position without our feet actively coming off of the ground which you know is useful for a number of different reasons number one to feel how heavy the barbell should feel in your arms through the transition. Like instead of just making contact with the bar and letting it fly around as you drive into the bottom position, hoping to catch it out of midair rather than actively pulling hard with your arms to pull your body down with some speed. The other thing is I think some people um, – will teach to actively jump really high. You know, I think jump is a good cue to use for someone just learning how to weightlift. But when you say jump, people think about jumping to try to dunk a basketball or something. So they're jumping all the way, you know, like a foot or so into the air. And at that time, they need to be going under the barbell. So, you know, there's an extreme disconnect between the floor and the lifter if they're doing that. And I think the no feet drills really help that. Excellent. Excellent.
0: I mean, obviously there's, there's so many assistance exercises. There's so many different things we can pull from, uh, but that's something that you're seeing a lot of success with.
1: Yeah. And I like to, I'll do that first just as a motor pattern thing. So we'll do like maybe three or four sets of no feet work with, you know, up to like 70% and then we'll go back down and then just start regular snatches, you know, so that we can try to carry that over and reinforce the proper uh, movement.
0: What's the way that you like to assess um, when you're doing an assistance exercise for an athlete, whether it's working or not is what I'm asking? Uh,
1: I, I, I think if they can reinforce it into the lift, then I think it's beneficial. So that's why I like to do some of the motor pattern stuff first. Right before the lift, like we may do some snatch balances if somebody has some mobility issues, okay. and then follow that up with just the snatches themselves and see if that makes a difference. Now, if the athlete goes into the next exercise and immediately reverts back to what they were doing before, then maybe that's not the right assist, you know, exercise that's gonna get them some sort of education in those positions or with that technique.
0: What kind of reps and load? would you use with, let's
1: say, go back to that snatch balance? How would you Mm -hmm. use that prior to snatching? We would probably work up to no greater than around 80%. Okay. uh, If it's used for something like that, if it's used for something like the motor pattern awareness and, and some sort of barbell education stuff then we're going to keep it relatively light and then carry it over into the snatches. But that we still do use snatch balances as a strengthening exercise where we'll push to well over what our snatch maxes are. Tell the audience about the the barbell syndicate and what you have going on there. Yeah, the barbell syndicate is, uh, is a weightlifting team in Virginia Beach that I started two years ago. Um, and we started off with about eight to 10 members. And within the first year we were Uh, up over 30. Right now, uh, in in two years, we are at 56, which is in-house. And then I have maybe 10 to 15 that are remote. Uh, We are also uh, a a subsidiary of East Coast Gold. So our our team competes locally as the Barbell Syndicate, but we compete nationally for East Coast Gold. Um, And that may change here in the future also, as I'm going to take on a greater role in East Coast Gold. Uh, And we may, we may become East Coast gold. Um, And that'd be great. But um, either way, we have a great atmosphere. I've been really lucky that I've, um, I've found uh, a gym that has very similar ideals and philosophies and, and wants that I do. So whenever I brought my team to CrossFit Rife with Jason Fernandez here in Virginia Beach. It was a no brainer. We've been uh, really progressing to the point that we're about to expand into the next gym uh, over. Uh, and we have, you know, the gym itself has close to 240 members and uh, we've been really kicking butt. So
0: now we talked about the importance of finding uh, a weightlifting coach earlier. Mm-hmm what what is the number one thing that makes a coach great in in your experience and maybe even what is the top uh the top attributes for a great coach beyond that number one thing
1: i think it's investment i think it's investment into the the athlete but in a way that re, you know demands investment from the athlete back into the coach you know i think uh a big mistake that coaches have is just here, Here's an athlete that comes into the gym, and no matter what, this athlete is going to conform to the way I talk, to the way I program, to the way I do everything. And is that beneficial for the athlete? It may not be. Uh, and so – if you don't see the athlete progressing because you are so concerned with that athlete conforming to you as a coach, then you're missing out on it. So, uh, I think there's easy ways to do that. I mean, there's easy ways to find other ways to try to get information across, but I think it goes deeper than that. Uh, just investment into the athlete's everyday lives, uh, and to have an understanding of what they're doing outside of the gym, having personal conversations, like just basic everyday, uh, personal things that some people lack just the general social skills of being a good person, you know, and people just walk yeah. into the gym and no one says hello to you or slaps you five or just ask you how your day went or anything like that. I mean, these are easy things to do, um, that just, you know, shows a little bit of investment that, uh, you know, sometimes you don't get everywhere. Yeah. Um, let's get back to
0: basics. (laughs) So I think what you just said in, in, in different words is kind of connecting,
1: caring and being cool. Right. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm hard on my lifters, you know, like I I'll, I'll tell them things that they don't want to hear, but you know, I'm also, you know, we're all friends and we laugh, we have a good time. I'm genuinely happy to see them when they walk into the door. Now, I'm a hugger. You know, I grew up in an Italian family. My dad and I, my mom and I, everybody like my whole family, we're huggers. We're just, yeah. uh, you know, affectionate people. Sure. So people walking in the door and they're like, man, that guy's just like too, hugging everybody. What's <laughs> up with that? You know? But that's the way I, that's our environment though. That's sure. our atmosphere. Sure. It's great. you know.
0: Absolutely. So we were talking about this, uh, a little bit before we started the interview here, but is there a book that has impacted you the most or or that you recommend the most to others, or yeah, let me even take this in a different direction. What would be the weightlifting resource that you would recommend the most okay. to others? So, I'll give go. you a couple yeah. of different like, options. Uh, to answer I've that. read
1: a few. Like I've read Mind Gym, that helped me out a lot. I'm currently reading um, uh, a book about the All Blacks, uh, who w- about leadership that was recommended to me by uh, Jason Fernandez, which is awesome. Um, but um, you know, I think the uh, I love the catalyst resources. I love Greg Everett's a good friend of mine and he really puts out some great content. Um, and there's a new one out there with Quinn Hennick. And, um, so there, there's some really good resources out there. And I think catalyst is, is still at the top of that.
0: No doubt. I was trying to reach my book back there, but the book that you mentioned is uh, legacy, right? Um, which uh, I hate to admit this right now but I I bought that book and I haven't read it it's literally All right, on that's next <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah I'm only yeah. a few chapters in but I really right. like it I mean I've never really aside from being a coach I've never been in the leadership position that I'm in now yeah. uh it's definitely different and I've had to learn a lot and I I've, I've had I've been fortunate like I said with Jason Fernandez and my my assistant coach with Brendan McDaniel they've we've worked really closely together to try to be good leaders and and we've learned a lot um, and this is, uh, that is one book that I can definitely relate to. And I really like some of the ideals in it. Excellent. Mind Gym is a book, um, that's actually a pretty easy read. I read yeah. that uh, some time ago,
0: N- nice book, uh, different <laughs> athletes kind of talk about the, the mental game that we were talking about. So, right. Cool book. Cool book. Yeah. And then, and then certainly the weightlifting resources that you mentioned are, are great as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you have some upcoming projects and things. Uh, is there anything you want to mention here as we're? Right.
1: Yeah, we're getting ready to do, uh, East coast gold's weightlifting camp at McKenna's gym in Pennsylvania. That's June 22nd through the 25th. Um, so that's going to be a really, that's going to be awesome. Cause Leo Totten's obviously going to be there. I'm going to be there as a, as a coach and Mike McKenna, but also, uh, Zygmunt from, uh, what used to be the Olympic training center and, and the Polish national team and everything. He's going to be there as a coach. So, uh, sign up and, and, um, Come and get some lifting in. It's like three sessions a day. It's all lifting. It's going to be really fun. So that's one. Uh, I have local meets coming up and things like that. I put on a really big meet uh, at the oceanfront outside on the beach uh, in September called the Are You Fit. So if you're interested in ever competing outside at the beach, uh, this is a great opportunity to come and take a little vacation, bring the family and whatever and, and lift in a meet. Um, that's, that's, uh, during like a big CrossFit competition and everything. So it is a great weekend in September there. Uh, personally, I'm not going to compete until the American open finals in December. So, um, stay busy until then. Uh, my biggest happening though. So I got a baby boy due at the end of July. So gearing up for that. Yeah. Yeah. So you have two and a third one on the way. Yeah. yeah. Two girls. So my, this is life's greatest accomplishment for me is that yeah. I actually did it. I finally did the boy thing. You know, I didn't <laughs> think it was possible, but it
0: is. Oh, man. Well, I have two little girls as well. That's and awesome. th- that's it for us. But, okay. uh,
1: <laughs> but I went through great. that, though. Is it the risk of having a third girl is somehow outweighing the reward of having that boy, you know? Yeah.
0: Oh, man. Well, having girls is great though, right? Absolutely. I mean, it's just uh, yeah, yeah it's special,
1: it. man. I that there's no doubt about that. I I I am really tight with my girls and we have a really special relationship. No doubt. So where's the best place to uh, find you online, connect, all that kind of stuff? You can find me on uh, Instagram at PhillySab, or you can look me up on Facebook, uh, or you can email me if you'd like to get in touch about anything. Uh, and you can email me at phillysab15 at gmail.com. And
0: you also have a podcast coming up. I want to make sure that we we touched on that. Yes. Talk a little uh, bit about that.
1: This is uh, The Everyday Weightlifter with Joe Schmanek, Uh and we – We are, um, right now building content. It hasn't been released yet, but, uh, we, um, we do a bunch of different things. We had Colin Burns on actually last night for uh, an hour and a half, and we had some great conversation with him. We did a Q and a where we, um, asked social media for questions and we got a ton. So we barely even scratched the surface on that. Uh, so every week we're doing a little bit of everything, some Q and a, we're doing some interviews, we're doing some content about technique or programming and things like that. So, Uh, It's just um, what I like about this is it's not just all weightlifting and and uh, talking about, you know, the best weightlifting and all this. It's about what a large majority of us are all going through. We all have lives. We all have jobs. We all have all, you know, everything outside of weightlifting. We just love the sport. And so what are the best ways to get around that and to include that into your life? And that's that's what this podcast is all about.
0: Excellent. Well, it sounds great. Look forward to it. And I uh, wish you the best with that, man. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. Sure. Final question. What's a takeaway action for the audience after hearing our session
1: today? Uh, the takeaway action is perspective. Perspective in life and perspective in your training and competitions is going to go further than the training itself. You know, you should not be defined by your bad days. You should not allow yourself to be defined by your good days as hard as it is. Uh, and find ways to enjoy training and enjoy your life. How uh, how do you recommend getting perspective? How? Uh, don't be afraid of (laughs) failure. (laughs) Honestly, Uh, you know, some, some of the time don't dismiss some of the hardest uh, times of your life as just hard times, you know, have takeaways from that, learn some things about yourself and learn some things about life in general, during all of those times during your good times and your bad times and use that to, you know, to build yourself a better you, you know, in the future. Excellent. Phyllis has been great, man. We covered
0: a lot, uh, a lot of great content.
1: Uh, It's been a pleasure having you on. Thank you. It's been a pleasure being on. Thank you.
0: Well, that does it for this week's session, guys. Thank you so much for joining me this week. One of the great things I love about this show is getting connected with all the great coaches and athletes to come on to share the things that they are most passionate about and to share their perspective and insights. So I hope that you get great value out of it as I do. And I love the variety of topics and guests that we have on the show. So with that, guys, I'm going to sign off make sure to go to ardellatraining.com forward slash join and become part of the Ardella training community. And you will also find some great free training resources available to you there as well. Also connect with me on Instagram. That would be at Ardella training. And I've been posting some, uh, training videos and lots of great insights and things like that. I try to always share value with each and every post. So you can find me again at Ardella Training on Instagram. So with that, guys, that's a wrap. I'm signing off. Have a great week. Train strong, train safe, and we'll see you again soon. Take care.